This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Here for you, here for your pets. Anything you want to ask about, we're also here, our simulcast with our Instagram Live. So again, you're here, hopefully um, learn a little something, uh, share some of your information with us, because anything you share with me gets shared with everybody, and then I guarantee you, whatever issue you may be having and you think, oh my God, I'm the only one, I'm so embarrassed to ask, trust me, I've heard it a zillion times, there are very little... Very few things where I say, oh my God, I've never heard that before. So anyway, don't be embarrassed. Anyway, so how do you get a hold of me? Easy. Here on Instagram Live, just type away. Uh, leave me a message. I will wave back at you and hopefully answer your questions. And here on Pet Life Radio, a couple of ways to get a hold of me. One, good old-fashioned toll-free phone number, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can always join us here live, which I prefer. And what you do is very simply, you just go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, go to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and just click on that Zoom link left for you there, and it'll take me right in. And you can hopefully, if you have a pet that you can share, just bring the pet on as well. We can take a look. As I say, in telemedicine, anytime you're asking a question to a veterinarian, I got to tell you something. It is so much better to be able to actually see the pet. You can describe and try to explain something all you want. It'll take you 10 minutes to explain it. I can take one look at the pet and have a much better idea what's going on. So um, anyway, that's kind of what, what I recommend doing. So it's always good to have your pets with us. And I'm going to apologize in advance for any background noise because my, my middle one, my son and his wife are away for the weekend, leaving us his two kids. Now, my youngest daughter's son, usually because they both work at, on night, Saturday nights, he stays here all the time. And so I have three boys under four, and you can only imagine what's going on. So uh, it's commotion, it's noise, it's fighting, it's crying. It's, it's interesting that we have a really good playroom in the house, knowing for the grandkids. Well, every room in the house now looks like a playroom. So just to give you an idea, the disruption is uh, a rather challenging. How I, I'm going to be able to get a half hour here uninterrupted is going to be pretty much next to impossible. So just bear with me. So let's get to that first question from New York Yankee. I'm a serious case of concern. You came across this pet. Yes. So I had a dog come in. We work with rescue groups. And this is one of my associate, Dr. Davidson. I had this dog come in, about a 14-year-old dog that was literally masses all over the place. One of them looked like it started as a mammary mass that was, we removed it, not easily, by the way. It was a very long surgery. I also took two more normal-looking mammary tumors and a tumor on the back leg that was starting to impede the dog's ability to move, to walk, because he couldn't bend at the hock. And the big one, oh my God, I'm going to have pictures of it. Probably this week we'll post them. It was huge. It was a pound, one pound. The dog only weighed 13 pounds. It was one pound and it was huge. It was literally so big and firm. It, it was dragging on the floor when the dog walked. And that way it was also abraded. So it was such a mess. And their, the vet they usually work with didn't want to touch it. My associate, he doesn't do kind of the surgeries I do. He didn't want to touch it. So he called me and he says, Jeff, you think you'll have some fun with this one? I said, heck yeah. And anyway, surgery went great. And um, so yeah, I mean, it's going to make a bit, huge difference for this dog. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, they even said, we understand the risks of knocking out a dog in this kind of condition. We understand that she could pass on the table. 
We understand that despite the surgery, if you can even do it, that her time is limited, but we want to do it. I said, okay. I mean, what can I do? So we did it. I will, um, as I said, I'm going to post the pictures. It was really, really a cool surgery. And um, let's see, they do that. Well, they, the kids are over all the time and they're all, they all have their own animals too. So uh, I, I mean, just like we grew up in a household with pets. I don't think I've ever been without one. And I think the same for my siblings. And um, now my grandkids, all now my kids grew up with pets. Now they are married. They have their own families. They have pets. So my grandkids now do not know what it's like to not have pets. Now, my two boys that are here, they have dogs, but they don't have any cats. And so the younger one is just so intrigued by the cats. And I have five. And it is so good because they're so good with the kids that they just sit there and they, they, he's petting them. He's grabbing their ears. He's, I always have to be near him. So no, no, you don't want to grab that. But anyway, no, it's, it's really cool. They do love it. I mean, exactly. I, yeah, it's, well, feel badly for anybody who never had a pet. And it's amazing. I, speaking of this week, I had a woman come in. She was house sitting a pet. And that's how she first really learned to appreciate pets. And now she has her own vet for the very first time. She's never, ever, her family never had pets. And I can't expect, I mean, any of us that have pets know what it's like to have them. And also we know what it's like not to have them. And as I, I say, one of my good friends, I, I see just joined us, Michael, hello, who um, we're trying to convince sooner or later that uh, he's got one, I think one cat left and uh, it's time for more. And then I, another one of my um, friends is now just lost a cat and has already sent us pictures of kitties that are available for adoption. And uh, he's kind of thinking it, that we're not thinking it, he wants to get them. So anyway, let's go. Uh, while you guys are joining, thank you very much. Thanks for joining me. I hope you all remembered to change your clocks. You're obviously here. So you either got a reminder or um, any over-the-counter ointment I could put on dry, flaky skin above my dog's knees. Well, I would look for some moisturizing creams. The problem with ointments and creams in dogs is that unless you can actually shave the coat above, which I don't necessarily want you to do, then it's really hard because the ointment, it gets very viscous, gets very thick, it sticks on the skin. The dogs want to lick it off naturally. So what I would recommend is some sort of moisturizing spray. For example, I have a skin and coat emollient spray. If you can find it, it's under Dr. Jeff Werber Pets. It is the bomb. It really is. Not because I didn't make it. I just had it made for me. So I can't you know, take the credit for creating such an amazing spray, but it is really cool. And also add some like over-the-counter, you can do omega-3, omega-6 fatty acid supplements. You can get them at a pet store. You can get them online. There are a number of brands out there. You can get them either as, they look like gel caps, almost like vitamin E, vitamin A caps, or they look like they're like a pump that you can pump a, a couple of pumps right on the food. That might help the dry skin as well. Now, if it's patchy dry skin, and we're talking about the front legs, that, yeah, around the elbow, that's an elbow callus, there's not a lot you can do about that because whenever they lie down and then they get up, they're kind of rubbing their elbows on a surface. And that just contributes to that thickness, a little dry, and, and usually they lose hair in that area. So if you wanted to use a moisturizing cream there, then that would be, give it a shot. The problem with anything that you put on a dog, anything that if you don't watch them, they know it's there and they're gonna try to lick it off, which is why I say people, if, you, if, they, if it's a part of the body that they have access to, you have to put some sort of cone collar, some sort of you know, suit on them that they just can't get to it. And this is, this is really funny. So I had a sad, but funny. And uh, this is this is like people and how some people think. So the dog has a corneal ulcer. And when we have dogs with ulcers, they have to wear a collar. 
And I say, they need to wear the collar all the time. So we give her the medication. She comes back for her first, the week of recheck, and the eye looks a little worse. I said, hmm, the eye looks a little worse. So I go and restain the eye, and the ulcer got bigger. I said, let's go over it again. So the collar you have, she goes, so wearing it all the time. And she goes, well, yeah, except when he, when he sleeps. I go, you take it off? He sleeps. So let's talk about this for a second. During the day when you're with your pet and they have something and you don't want them to scratch, someone's there, there are distractions, there's hopefully other dogs, maybe there's a walk, there's mealtime, there are people around the house. If, if there's any time you want to take a coat off, do it when there's other people there to say, hey, Buster, cut it out. But when you're asleep, there are no, you have a quiet house. The one person or the people that would normally say, hey, Buster, cut it out, are sleeping. And you think your dog is going to sleep? Are you joking? Heck no. They are rubbing the crap out of that eye. And that's exactly what happened. So the worst time, the worst time to take a cone off a dog who is wearing a cone is when they are actually, everyone else is sleeping. That's when you don't want to remove it. So anyway, just keep that in mind. I, I do not disturb. I do not disturb anybody. And there's a call that comes in. I don't get it. So if any of you have mastered an iPhone, please reach out to me and tell me, how do I turn it off so it stays off? And because uh, it's very, very frustrating. And every time someone comes in and makes a call, and we're live here, I can still see it. But I think it stops my recording. And um, huh, very frustrating. So anyway, I have some uh, stories here. If there are no more questions, I'll keep watching. All right, next up, there were some stories that I didn't get to last week. We had such a good show, and I had some others too. But, you know, a lot of dogs vomit bile, yellow bile, and that could signal basically some underlying diseases. It's not just diet. It's not just gastric reflux, which it often is. And I solved that by telling people to give, save about a third to a quarter of dinner and set it aside and feed it like at 10 o'clock, 1030 at night, way be just before you go to bed. You want to have something in their stomach when they are going to bed, and that will help a lot from this gastric reflux. So keep that in mind. But also, it could be signs of allergy, of some digestive tract disorders, parasites, even cancer, liver, kidney disease. There are so many things. So the first thing that a lot of people do when a dog vomits is they feel badly because they just vomited the food. So what should we do? Well, let's give them some food. No, we don't want to do that. So very important. When a dog vomits, you, they should stay off of food for at least 12 hours and even water. Once a stomach goes through that vomiting, it's almost like a knot. So, so what happens is that it gets very irritated. So anything that goes into that stomach, even something as benign as water, can stretch the stomach and induce more vomiting. So anyway, here's one that dog vomits that you'll buy only if dehydrated. And um, so let's see what the, rest, what the rest of that is. So he'll vomit the day after too. So again, vomiting breeds vomiting. So the most important thing is to keep that in mind and do you want to hold off food? What I recommend, instead of giving him water, because I, you know, hydration, hydration is very important, put a cup of ice cubes in the water bowl. And that way, they can't drink the ice cube. Sometimes some dogs like to chew on them, but not all of them. In fact, most don't. But as the ice melts, and they keep going back to the water bowl, there'll always be a little bit of water there, but they can't get too much volume in one sitting. So they won't be able to stretch that stomach wall by just licking on some ice cubes that are melting. So keep that in mind. The other thing, also, um, interestingly, we know this, any dog person knows this, dogs do have emotion. What I like about these stories is they're starting to study them scientifically. Empirically, we knew this, but you know, we see them in many, many aspects of what they do. But they don't have as many as an adult human. They're more similar to toddlers. 
you can tell their emotions through body language and facial expressions. So uh, they have them. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. My cat throws up right after eating. Why? So when cats throw up after eating, that's often a sign, maybe eating too much too fast. And so you might want to pace the, the meals out and give less wait an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and give a little bit more. Also, dogs that have inflammatory bowel disease, their primary sign is diarrhea. Cats with inflammatory bowel disease, their primary sign is vomiting. So if you have a cat that vomits frequently, and often after eating or any time, you might want to see your vet, not might, you should see your vet, because one of the problems may be if it's not any other problem, if the bloods are fine, the cat is otherwise healthy and animated and active and can't wait for its next meal, it might be IBD, in which case there's some great medicine out there that could help the IBD. And if anything else, if nothing else, I would at least give that a try if everything else checks out okay. All right, time to uh, take our quick break. We're a little five minutes over. That's okay. So we'll have a quick break. Don't go away. We'll come right back after these short messages. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> All right, and we're back here live. You're here with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff and my Instagram Live. Uh, we just answered a question about best joint supplement for small dogs. Is it, yeah, there, there are just too many brands, and I don't endorse any particular brand. It's the active ingredients that I'm endorsing. Glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM are really, really good. I'm sure there's some natural herbs that some of these companies put in. They could be good as well. And if it gets really bad, then you could think about something like PRP, platelet-rich plasma. So um, the question I really wanted to share with everybody, because it's an important question, is chemical castration something that is done in the USA? So there was Neutersol. There was a, an injection that was used years and years ago. It fell out of favor for a number of reasons, is that you still have the, it destroys the seminal vesicles, so they can't deliver semen, but they still secrete testosterone. And that is one of the problems. They say it reduces testosterone by 50% or even 60%. But even still, there is going to be some testosterone, which leads to some of the behavior and pre-cancer issues that we're worried about in these dogs. So that, yes, it might stop them from being able to breed, but it doesn't really stop the other reason why we recommend neutering. 
So they're going to still want to roam. And then there's still going to be testicular disease. So it doesn't always completely destroy the testicle. Now, so surgically is still the way that it's most used here in the US. I have heard other techniques in Europe that are literally able to destroy and shrink down the testicle completely or 98% and then therefore stop the testosterone and the sperm development, et cetera. I personally am not familiar. If you have any information about that you'd like to share, please send it to me at drjeff at petliferadio.com or drjeff at drjeff.com. I'd be happy to take a look at it and maybe even be bold enough if the science is there to use it. But the product that was out a number of years ago, I used to use it. It was an injection directly into the testicle. The dogs didn't love it. They were sedated a little bit, for rightly so. But yeah, it fell out of it. I don't even, I don't think you can even buy it anymore. There are a number of things like that that, that just kind of come and go. They, they hit the market. I mean, another thing that was much more popular, and it's not, you can still buy them and get them online. I've still done them. I've done maybe two or three in the last 10 years to give you an idea of how out of favor. But nudicles, those are the testicular implants that go into the empty scrotum to make it not empty. You wonder, does the dog really know? Hmm, I don't think so. Uh, so are we doing this for the owner? Maybe that's, that's what, you know, you got that macho pit bull. The last thing you want is for the dog to uh, not have a, a, you know, a testicles in his scrotum. And that, but then there were problems because then you wanted to take the dog to a doggy daycare where they have to be neutered or to a dog park. And the, the dog park police are there and saying, no, excuse me, you can't come in. Your dog is not neutered. No, no, neutered. those are fake. <laughs> well, boy, they feel real. That was another problem. They made them feel so real that it's really defeated the purpose. So I think that people that were putting in neuticles, the dog owners were doing it for them, not for the dogs. So anyway, that's my, my two cents. But if somebody wanted to buy them, you can buy them. They don't come sterilized. We sterilize them. I implant them. I said, I've done a few. Actually, if you want to get a little chuckle, I've actually put some into a dog's scrotum where the nudicles were actually larger than the dog's original testicle. So what kind of thrill that was for the owner? I have no idea. But anyway, it is done. It is done. Okay. The music in the background are little kids just having a blast. Gasequin, very, very good product for Jack Russell dog. Let's see. Hold on. A couple of grandkids are under two. They want to crawl over the huge dog. Should I keep them on a leash when they are here? I'm worried. Ah, so, you know, it's interesting. I have video of, in fact, my oldest grandson that's here now. He's not my oldest grandkid, but my old grandson. He's going to be four in January. And my daughter has pictures of pit bulls. She had two pit bulls at the time. One recently we had to put to sleep at 14. Did amazing. But a larger one, his name is Cheeto. He literally would be on a bed and Jackson would crawl all over him using Cheeto's ears to help pull, pull him up onto the bed, pull Jack on the bed. And I'm sitting there looking at these people. Shane, are you nuts? He's going to bite him. He's going to turn around. Nothing. The worst thing he does when he's had enough abuse, he gets up, jumps off the bed and walks away. It is unbelievable. So is that the exception of the norm? I would say the exception because I was bitten by a dog. And I think all I did was step on him when he was sleeping. And I was bitten really bad because my first plastic surgery when I was five, right on my face. So I would be really careful and also try to teach the little grandkids that we try not to crawl all over the dog and jump. I mean, it's it, trying to teach them just to make nice, showing how to pet, calm down, et cetera, at first, et cetera. But you know, it, it really does, what it boils down to is the dog, the dog's trust it has in the kids and knowing that the kids aren't, the grandkids aren't going to hurt him or her. And um, yeah, they could be fine. And also just notice for workout for one person, one pet owner may not work out for another. So um, anyway, 
just keep in mind. But I would only say this, exercise extreme caution. All right. So the request to be on a live video, as I said, we have to just send me a, a message. We can happily talk, you know, even real time, or you can go on to my AirVet app. If you haven't signed on to AirVet, that's a great way to communicate because it's all live video and every conversation is recorded. The video is recorded so we can use it as a medical record. Sign on to AirVet, put in Jeff's, J-E-F-F apostrophe S, telehospital as your primary hospital. And um, yeah, be um, happy to uh, have a, a session with you on AirVet. Okay, other things. Uh, this only may be applied to a few of you if you live in the, in the uh, Pacific Northwest, Oregon, but... You know, we've talked about the scare of lepto, et cetera, here. Listen to this. Sea lions are being washed up upshore, either died or very sick. And the reason, leptosporosis. And they can shed it to other animals. They can shed it to you. They can shed it to dogs. So if you live along the Oregon coast, but that's like just, I look at that as like, you know, just a, a warning. Because do you think the sea lions know that between a, the Oregon coast and Northern California coast? And then Northern California, we have sea lions down here in Southern California. That means if that lepto is there and it's hitting the pods, right, of the sea lions, then it could be just a matter of time. Just keep that in mind. If you are in such an area where there seems to be cases, you need to get your dogs vaccinated against lepto. I'm not a big fan of vaccinating every dog, but in an area or in a lifestyle where it might become core, meaning a necessity, please have it done. And, uh, oh, this is really cool too. There is a veterinarian in Miami who works with the Miami Police Department, and they have obviously police dogs are working dogs. A lot of them are German Shepherds, and they therefore develop arthritis, which is pretty common. They're using something called, check this out, radio synovior thesis, radio synovior thesis, which they, is a, they anesthetize a dog, and inside the affected joint, they put in a radioactive agent into the joint that decreases the swelling, does not cause any dangerous radioactivity, but it's enough locally to strengthen the joint surface, decrease the swelling, and help them improve the arthritis. I think that's pretty good. And also, here's another story we have where we're running out of time here. Let me run this one by you real quick because I thought this was cool. Dogs with PTSD, you think? Absolutely. About 5 to 10% of military dogs working in combat environments have developed a form of stress disorder. And desensitization and counterconditioning is necessary for these dogs. The symptoms are basically pacing, hypervigilance. They get overly, overly cautious about anything around them. Chronic anxiety, avoidance, when they want to avoid certain people and places. These are all signs that these dogs might be experiencing. So what's so amazing, in order to experience PTSD, there has to be a reaction to that is affecting the normally the soldier. Okay, so they have to have feelings in order for it to bother them in order to later on have PTSD. So when you have dogs in combat environments that are developing these symptoms of PTSD, what does it tell you? It tells you that they too, obviously, sense what's going on. They sense the trauma. They have feelings and they are affected by these feelings and the sensations that they've experienced. That is, I mean, again, any dog lover knows that, but it's so cool in a sense to have it confirmed, validated by science. And with that, I'm going to save the other stories for next time, which will be next week. And then, yeah, next Sunday, I will be here. Same bad time, same bad channel. I get to leave. We're taking a family trip to Cabo from the 15th to the 20th. So that Sunday, the 20th, I most likely will not be live because I will be probably enjoying some sunshine in Cabo San Lucas. 
and some pool time and ocean time and probably eating a lot. So anyway, any questions during the week, you can always get a hold of me either at PetLifeRadio.com, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. And for Instagram, you could just send me an Instagram live message. I'd be happy to uh, speak with you. And um, uh, other than that, uh, thank you again for having me, helping me start my Sunday morning, giving me a good excuse to stay away from the grandkids for a half hour. That's, I'll tell you, they wear you down. They really do. And having three of them here right now, under four, oh God, that's a challenge. All right, have a good week, everybody. Uh, Remember, if you haven't already, I'm sure you did now, change your clocks. It's going to be getting dark way earlier. So uh, keep in mind, drive safe when you're coming home from work. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.